Well, hey, good morning, Wawasee. Glad that you're here this morning with us. And happy Mother's Day. Moms, we are so grateful for you, for all the ways that you serve and love and care for us. And especially for those of you, you've had to step it up over these last couple months, all of a sudden becoming a homeschool mom when you never signed up for that or working from home. And we are so grateful for you and we love you and honor you today. In fact, if you're sitting next to your mom or to a mom, why don't you just turn and tell them you love them, tell them thank you and tell them happy Mother's Day right now. You know, at the same time, though, there are many women in our church who are not mothers, and we love you too, and we are so grateful for you and for the way God has made you and that he's made you a part of our church and all that you bring to add richness to our church. And so uh, maybe you would turn uh, to one of those women right now that you're with and just tell them you love them and you're grateful that they're here and part of our church today. You know, uh, the reality is, uh, I, I can't really go on without just saying that I, I recognize Mother's Day as an incredibly hard day for a lot of women. Um, maybe you wish you were a mom, or you've tried to become a mom and it hasn't happened, or you're waiting to meet someone and get married with the hopes of becoming a mother one day, and all Mother's Day does is simply remind you of that fact and what you're lacking. You know, Hannah and I have lived that. Uh, we're really grateful for Charlie, uh, but there's also five other babies that aren't here with us today. And so a lot of times a day like today can simply be a reminder of that fact. But uh, if that's the case for you, you just need to know um, it's okay to hurt and that I'm so, so sorry. But also remember this, that your value and your worth and your identity is not in being a mom. It's in being a child of God and being a follower of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, in him, you are complete. You are. Rest in that truth this morning, okay? And know that we love you. But for everyone, happy Mother's Day. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Hey, I wonder, some of you, you might be uh, with your life group today. Are you watching with your life group today? How cool is it? You're finally back together with other people watching the live stream. And uh, even if you're not, we're still glad you're here. But for those of you who are, why don't you do this? Just let us know right now in the chat uh, that your life group is there, that you're watching, and, and maybe tell us everybody who's there. We'd be excited to know that. And we're really glad that you can gather with us like this today, finally. And it's not going to be long before we're going to be able to gather together as a whole church right here in this room, only two weeks away. And uh, obviously, it's going to be kind of phased in how we do that. And we sent out a video this week. If you haven't watched it yet, be sure you do that. Uh, otherwise, stick around. Uh, it's going to be playing after this at the end of the service today, just right here on this feed. Uh, but in any case, we're glad you're here. And if you're new today or new over these weeks, um, we're really glad that you're here and welcome. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Wawasee. And my hope would be that uh, shortly in the coming weeks, I'd get to meet you face to face. And I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Well, we're in a series this morning, our fourth week uh, of this series called Uncertain Certainty. And much of life has been uncertain for the last couple months, so much of it. And uh, one of the things we're doing then is we're looking to the one we know who is certain, even in the midst of uncertainty. And of course, that's Jesus. 
There's no one who dealt with uncertainty with more wisdom or with more resolve. And uh, there's no one who has more to say about how to go through life during times of uncertainty than Jesus Christ. And so when everything else is uncertain, we hold on to that which is, and that's Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're looking to him during these days to find our certainty. Well, uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. And this morning we're going to be talking about the future, which seems so uncertain. And we're going to be in chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13. And in the parable today, or in the the message today, in this passage, Jesus is going to tell a parable to a crowd of people. He's been teaching, and there's all kinds of people around him. And we read this in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, Jesus often had a crowd around him, and uh, they were often asking him questions and trying to get near to him and, and get his input on different things in their life or to be healed by him. And in this case, this guy is asking Jesus to make a judgment for him. See, uh, the Old Testament spoke a lot about and had many regulations on how to divide an inheritance in a family. It spoke a lot to issues of, of financial matters and uh, just family matters. And uh, when those things were fuzzy and when a situation came up where it wasn't uh, just cut and dry how to handle it, people would go to their rabbi who often became their arbiter and kind of the judge of their case. And that's really what this man is doing. But notice, he doesn't go really asking for him to rule. He goes demanding that Jesus make the judgment that would favor him. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But look what Jesus does. Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Jesus just cuts to the core of this guy. And... uh, He goes on uh, drawing his attention to a much bigger issue than his earthly inheritance. Look at verse 15. He said to them, notice now he turns to the entire crowd, not just this man. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on guard See, Jesus' response here was not to respond directly to the complaint issued. If anything, we kind of learned from Jesus that there's some things uh, that just aren't worth weighing in on. He, he goes to the bigger issue. He, he, he goes to the issue that, that this man's comments are really revealing and really pointing to. It was his covetousness. In other words, his, your translation might say his greed, guard against all greed. Well, greed or covetousness, it's the excessive consuming desire to have more of something, more possessions, more wealth, more status. It's this insatiable lust to always have more than your fair share, boundlessly grasping after more. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet because it enslaves your heart to stuff. And and Jesus recognizes that in this man coming to him saying, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The issue was a whole lot deeper than just his inheritance. It was an issue of his heart. You know, often we respond to a circumstance in our life, but for better or for worse, the way we respond, excuse me, reveals something about our heart. It reveals our idols. 
See, in this case, in Jesus' estimation, which, by the way, in Jesus', Jesus estimation is always right, but, but Jesus uh, seemed to see through this guy's comments and know that he needed to be more concerned with his eternal inheritance than his earthly one. And in a moment, he's going to share a parable that cuts right to the point, revealing this man's covetousness. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, Paul talks about covetousness. He says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, evil desire, and covetousness, which is the idolatry. Paul tells us that covetousness is idolatry. Jesus says to everyone there, guard your heart against all covetousness. What he's really saying is guard your heart against idolatry. Guard your heart against all idolatry. That's the real issue here. It's not the earthly inheritance. It's, it's idolatry. And, and Jesus is telling us, guard your heart from idols. You know, before we go on to look at the parable Jesus is going to tell to cut to the chase here, uh, I, I think it's good for us maybe just to stop a moment and talk about idolatry, to talk about idols. What are they? Well, idolatry is so destructive and pervasive that there's a biblical counselor, this guy named David Pollison, and he says this about idolatry. He says, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. By far, it's the most frequently discussed thing. And it's not even always using the term idolatry, but it shows up over and over throughout scripture. And and what idolatry is, is when we make a created thing a God thing, and that's a bad thing. Let me say that again. Idolatry is when we take a created thing and make it a God thing, and that's a really bad thing. See, the reality is that that idols can be anything, uh, even really good things, that ultimately take the place of God and become a God thing. It's when we worship something that's created more than the creator himself. It's, and you might think, well, I don't, I don't bow down to any idols. What are you talking about, Josh? I don't have like a little God on my uh, nightstand or anything like that that I worship or in my living room on the fireplace. Uh, I don't bow down to worship. No, but worship is what you express the most worth toward. And your actions... And your comments and all of those things ultimately reveal your heart and what it is that, it, that you have the most worth and value for. And that's the thing you worship, worth-ship. You express worth towards, that's worship. And I'm telling you, we all have idols that we worship. If you don't believe me, maybe the acronym IDOLS, I-D-O-L-S, might be helpful for you. Uh, It is for me, Uh, just in identifying some of them in your life. Think of the I as items, items that you worship. In other words, your stuff. Any good thing can become an idol. It's when you value it and worship it and make it more important than your relationship with God himself. And when you find your identity in your stuff, the D you might think of as duties, things that you have to do, your, uh, your responsibilities, your work, your vocation, your ministry. You know, Pastor Dave spent some time last Sunday just uh, reminding us that our identity is not in what we do, but it's in Jesus Christ, not our activity, not all of the duties that we have to accomplish. 
you know, this, this one may have come out pretty clearly over the last couple months, really both of these items in saying, man, right now I, I can't get the items I want. It takes a whole week to get anything from Amazon now. What in the world? I used to have it tomorrow. Or, or the stuff that I do, I, I had found all of my identity in going to work or in doing this thing or participating in this activity and now that's just totally shot. Now who am I? What do I do? Well, items, duties, the O in idols, you might think of as others, as others. You know, God made us for friendship and community, and it's good to have other people in our lives. But like all things, this good thing becomes a God thing if others become ultimate and kind of the source of your identity. Uh, Others can become idols when um, I try to please other people. Or when I associate with a group of people, uh, I kind of find my tribe who I most closely identify with in some way, shape, or form, and then because of that, I look down on people who disagree with me or see things differently. You never see that today in politics or in approaches to how to treat the coronavirus, do you? Others can become an idol. The L is longings. Maybe it's longings, and, and again, all of these things can be good things. Longings for relationships, for health, for security, for uh, a day like today, for motherhood, for fatherhood, for, for independence. See, uh, longings can become an idol as well. And we put that as our highest, uh, highest thing to chase after, the thing we value and worship the most rather than Jesus. And the S uh, is sufferings. This is kind of the ugly side of idolatry where we can even come to find our identity in our sufferings, either in the pain that we're going through or in things that have happened to us. And either we walk around angry with everyone and rejecting their care because we've just gripped so tightly to our suffering or we seek their pity constantly because that's where we find our value and worth now, kind of like Eeyore, right? But any of these things, can become idols. And what Jesus is saying is that this man who had come to him and said, teacher, tell my brother to divide that inheritance with me, he's saying that he was, uh, he was ultimately worshiping idols because he tells the whole crowd that one's life consists of a whole lot more than the abundance of your possessions. Something about the way that this man approached Jesus must have revealed his heart an underlying idol, sparking that firm response from Jesus. You know, it, it, it made me think, as I studied this week, uh, a week where we've been making plans for how we're going to return and how to deal with all the different things going on as it relates to the coronavirus and uh, how to come back, that, that a lot of times uh, the underlying attitude in our response to anything, including something big like this, often, I shouldn't say often, really always reveals the reality of our heart. And at times it betrays our worship of idols. I mean, think about all the ways that people respond. It, it, it really does. It reveals something about our hearts. And, and often uh, when that response is really harsh, on either side, there's some kind of underlying heart issue, some kind of idolatry issue. I mean, think about it. Just bear with me because I'm going to try to make everybody mad at me right now. You ready? 
I'm gonna be an equal opportunity employer here. I'm gonna go after everybody. Uh, imagine for a second, maybe your response to everything going on is, and maybe even some of the guidelines put out of how we're gonna return. You can't tell me not to hug someone. How dare you tell me not to shake their hand or, or, or to wear a mask? You know, that attitude, that might come from a totally valid opinion. Uh, and you might be totally right that maybe all of this is an overreaction. And you might be totally right. You, you might. But we don't know that right now. And ultimately, when that sort of an attitude is expressed in a really harsh way, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, with that sort of attitude, you know, ultimately... It just reveals a selfish heart. Especially when you consider that there are people in our church who are genuinely afraid right now. Or when you consider that people in our church have been directly affected by COVID-19. Not just the effects of it, but the virus itself. And so when I say, you can't tell me what to do, and, I, and I'm harsh about it, and just take this hard stance like, Rrr! Ultimately, that, be that betrays kind of this underlying idolatry of self and of independence and control, and it totally ignores how your brother and sister might be feeling. Now let's see if I can make the rest of you mad at me. Because on the other side, you might be saying, well, why doesn't everyone wear a mask? I mean, why are we coming back so soon? Why aren't we waiting longer? What are we thinking those, what we're doing, that's not enough. Again, those are equally valid concerns. And you might be right. But just like those who are on that other end of the spectrum, when they rise to the level of anger and uh, frustration, and, and again, maybe this doesn't even come out, but it's in your heart. And it's in your own personal attitude, privately in your heart. It, it's revealing of a heart that's too focused on this life rather than trusting God. Too focused on life on this earth rather than trusting God with the future. And, and not living by faith, but totally in fear. Fear and anger often reveal our idols. Well, now that I've managed to make pretty much everyone mad at me, uh, if you're still watching, let's see what Jesus says. And, and let me say this too before we go on, okay? Like those arguments, uh, I have no one person in mind other than myself because I've had those arguments in my own heart on both sides of the issue. At times I've felt and I've said to others and I've said it in my own heart, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not, walk, I'm not wearing a mask in your store and you know what it reveals? It only reveals my selfish pride. And then uh, other times, usually the same day, <laughs> I felt and I've said, man, this is nuts. This is way too soon. Oh, I don't want to get sick. I don't want people I love or people I know to get sick. And I get fearful and it, it, it reveals this idol of comfort and of health and of safety and my lack of faith. Or maybe I've felt, and I've felt this too, oh, we gotta reopen, right? The economy, it's all, it's, it's just trashed now. And in this case, when I feel that and, and find myself there, then I go read the parable that Jesus is about 
to read, and it puts me square in the crosshairs of what Jesus is getting at. Right along with the man in this story in Luke 12, revealing my, uh, my own idolatry of comfort and stuff. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. I, I'm guessing most of us, we find ourselves kind of oscillating back and forth through all of this. And what Jesus is wanting us to see today is that when he isn't the rock anchoring everything, we drift to every other extreme. Jesus has to be the rock in the center of everything, not something tacked on to our own opinion. That's idolatry. So let's keep reading. Uh, Jesus goes on to address this man who wanted his inheritance and, and also the entire crowd and also me and you. Look, he, he, he told them a parable. By the way, a, a parable is just a story that's meant to illustrate something. That's what a parable is. It's meant to teach, to reveal some spiritual truth that's deeper and under the surface and not just immediately apparent. So he told them a parable saying, oh, and so what that means, you have to lean in to listen. Because uh, many times after Jesus tells a parable, he gets to the end and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Pay attention, okay? He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He had a big crop, a big harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. It was a great year for this guy, and uh, he had brought in so much at the harvest, he had no place to put it all. And so um, he was facing a legitimate business decision. What's he going to do with all his inventory? He comes up with a plan. He goes, I know, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And that's there. There I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, at face value, is there anything wrong with what this man has done? No, there's not. I mean, if anything, he seems to have made some wise moves for the sake of his business. I mean, if your business was growing, if you had an incredibly profitable year and, and you're like, okay, well, what do I do with this? Uh, this seems like a good move. Let's, let's expand, let's get bigger. There, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. His actions here aren't the problem. You know what the problem is? It's his heart. It's what's lying under it. And verse 19 betrays it. Look at verse 19. And he, he goes on, he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax, eat, drink, and be merry. See, the wealthy man, this guy was rooting his hope and his security in his possessions. They were the source of his contentment. They were the source of his hope and his security for the future. Do you know what Jesus would say? <laughs> they were his idols. They were the good thing that became a God thing that turned into a bad thing. And that's the problem. That's why Jesus tells us to guard our hearts from all covetousness, from all idolatry. Because his hope were, was in these things, but these things were, were lying to him. It was a false hope. See, Jesus says you need to guard your heart from idols because they deal in lies and false hope. Well, the lie for this man was that he was going to be okay for years to come. 
He didn't have to be anxious. Uh, For years now, he could just eat, drink, relax, and be merry. Live it up. You know, on a a side note, this is the one time uh, many scholars say that the New Testament talks about retirement, and it doesn't talk about it uh, in a positive light. At least if you're thinking of retirement in terms of, I'm just going to kick back and enjoy life and make it all about me, because that's what this guy does. I mean, his, the hope for his future rested foolishly in his earthly possessions. Where was God in his hope? I mean, this guy might have been a guy who went to church, who, who worshiped God and all of these things, but it, evidently that wasn't at the center of who he was. His hope, really, his idol was his stuff, and he just kind of tacked God on to the outside. In the Greek version of this text, the words my and I show up uh, 12 times. <laughs> Jesus was emphasizing that this guy, it was all about him. And it wasn't all about Jesus. And then in verse 20, God calls him out as Jesus continues the parable. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? You've been saying they're yours the whole time, but who's who's they going to be when you die tonight? You know, it's never good to be a fool, and it's devastating when God calls you a fool. This guy hadn't guarded his heart from idolatry, and his idols lied, and they gave him false hope that he was set for so many years. But he wasn't. His idols lied to him. You know, there's a whole lot of people right now in our world who are experiencing this very parable. They were set financially. They were set vocationally. They had a plan for how their life was going to go over the coming months and years. And their identity was totally wrapped up in that. And that was their hope for the future. But then... uh, COVID-19 knocked on the door and God said, you fool, what are you going to do now? Why was your hope there? You know, maybe you've had that experience. My, my guess is that all of us to varying degrees have had that experience over the last couple months. And there's nothing quite like a good pandemic to reveal whether your hope for the future is in an idol or if it's in Jesus. Because your idols lie to you with false hope. And when they get revealed, it's devastating. See, this is why I said that our response, even right now, is revealing of the idols in our own hearts. If I idolize and control, if I idolize control and independence, I get angry when that idol is threatened and someone's asking me to do something I don't want to do. You know, like I mentioned earlier, like going to a store and having to wear a mask. I don't want to do that. But see, whether the mask is needed or not is beside the point. My response reveals the attitude and the idols of my heart. That idol's lying to me. Because my hope and my security is not in being independent. It's in Jesus. And if I idolize safety and comfort, and at times I do, then I get angry and fearful when that idol is threatened by someone who would come too close to me 
or who would be careless in some way and make it possible that me or someone I love might get sick. And again, as valid as my concern might be, that's not the issue. The issue is my response because again, my response in fear or in anger reveals what? The idols growing in my heart. Your heart is an idol factory. It's a garden of idols. My heart is. Like, Josh, this is great. Quit talking about my heart. I know, but, but see, that's the problem. That's where our idols live and grow and flourish. And if we don't guard our hearts and, and flee from idols and not allow them to take root, then they're going to continue to lie to us and give us false hope. And then God calls us a fool. Friends, the coronavirus is not your problem, and it's not my problem. Neither are leaders or politicians or everyday people who are either too controlling or too careless or simply find themselves on the other side of the issue than you. That's not the issue. Do you know what the issue is? The issue is your heart, and that's never more apparent than in during times of crisis. In fact, when we wrap up this series, in a few weeks we're going to begin one on the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is never more evident than in times of crisis and of conflict. That's why Jesus tells us, guard our heart. Guard your heart from idols. They, they deal in, in lies and in false hope. But guess what? Jesus holds the future. Jesus holds the future. Jesus says the man who ignored God and trusted in his idols was a fool. And he says, uh, so is anyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, uh, God told that guy he's a fool. You might be thinking, yeah, he is a fool. What's he thinking? And then God, then Jesus goes on and he says, yeah, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, this guy was a fool because life on earth is so short and a sensible person won't consider just the short term, they'll consider the long term. They're not worried about preparing for their 70th year, but their 70,000th year in eternity. And in the same way, when we're planning on uh, how we're going to care for one another and uh, what the future holds for us. Our concern can't be just the immediate near term of what I want and, my, and maybe or what I fear. It has to be long term. This will pass. But Jesus is eternal. See, uh, I love the way the message uh, paraphrases this verse. Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor, and he writes this. He goes, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. You know what happens when you fill your, fill your barn with self and not with God? It's your idols begin to betray you and anger and fear and fr- all those things start coming out and it leaks. Jesus says you're a fool if you fill your barn with yourself and not with God, if you're not rich toward him. So as we close, I just wonder, what's your barn filled with today? What's it filled with? I mean, how are your investments doing these days? We, we just uh, read a parable about a guy who had uh, incredible wealth and put it all in the barn and then his life was taken from him that very night and he was a fool. How about you? What about your investments? How are they doing these days? And I'm not talking about your 401k. <laughs> I'm talking about your eternal investments. Where are your riches? Are you rich toward God? 
or are you way too concerned about yourself and life right now? If you're like me, you can fall into that trap. But uh, the good news is that Jesus offers you a way out when you turn to him. And when you anchor your life on him and you're rich toward God and he's the center, then your idols begin to fade and ultimately go away and you're not tossed and turned every different direction by everything that happens. It isn't anger and fear that comes out, but the fruit of the the spirit, patience, joy, and loving kindness. Friends, if, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, let me just commend him to you. He would be your anchor through all of this and even, not even through all this, but through all of eternity. And to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, all you do is recognize that, uh, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have idols. I have things I've worshiped and valued and treasured way more than you. And today I repent of those things. I turn from them and Jesus, I turn to you. Would you save me and make me new? Make me yours. And he promises to do that as you put your trust and your faith in him. If you've been following Jesus, let me challenge you. Be filled with his spirit. Be careful what you're filling your barn up with because you never know. And if if we've learned anything in these couple months, life can change so quickly. And if you're not rooted in the rock, in Jesus Christ, it will be devastating. And if it has been, praise the Lord, because now he's drawing you and giving you a chance to trust him anew. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you uh, that while so much of life is uncertain, uh, even our future can seem uncertain. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends watching today. Would you help us not to be simply rich towards ourself, but Jesus, rich towards you? There are so many good things in life that you give us, but that if we're not careful, we allow them to become idols and we get so focused on the here and now and on what I want and what I desire and what I need. And Jesus, it's so easy to take our eyes off of you. Would you draw us back to you today? Lord, for those of us who are are struggling um, maybe to let go of our own desires in order to love and care for others, would you uh, turn our eyes to Jesus who, um, and to have the mind of Christ, how, how he emptied himself for the sake of others in order to love us and care for us and serve us. Jesus, for those of us who may be fearful and afraid, uh, would you fill us with courage because you've given us not a spirit of fear and of timidity, but of self-control. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's never trusted you that today might be the day they do. Would you continue to guard us and guide us, Jesus, that your light and your glory would shine so, so bright through our church. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this through him. Amen. You are loved.